Welcome to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where I share inspiring stories of ordinary people who walk out God's Word and discover radical results along the way. friends, welcome to Walk It Out. This is episode 24, and today's guest is Beth Bruno. I'll be sharing later how I connected with Beth, which basically means I thought her book looked really cool, and so I hunted her down. Um, But as you listen, you'll understand why I wanted to talk to her. Beth has a passion for helping young women, actually all women of all ages, to discover their identity and to be able to know and share their personal stories. Beth has a book called A Voice Becoming, and it highlights her efforts in creating a year of becoming with her teen daughter. Beth will be sharing about why this was important to her and what she learned along the way. Beth and I talk about many things during this interview, and one thing I appreciated was her encouraging moms to share their personal stories, the good stuff, the hard stuff, the hopeful stuff, share them with their daughters. We also talked about how if we face trauma at a certain age in our lives, that that impacts our kids when we're training them up during that age. For example, I have to admit that one statement has given me a lot to think about, and I thought back to the trauma I faced in my teen years, all the mess ups, all the screw ups, and what happened during those times, and now how I relate to my kids. Hmm, I might be a little overprotective. (laughs) For example, my teen girls call me mama bear, and I'm not afraid to confront teen boys who aren't acting right towards my girls. Yes, I even confronted a boy at youth group who kissed one of my daughters on the cheek without permission. Uh, Yeah, he hasn't done that since. So I guess I need to ponder this a little bit more, how my own teen years and the struggles I had is impacting how I parent my teen daughters. But what I loved about what Beth shared is how we can reframe our personal stories in order to relate to our kids. And this comes down to just being able to share our stories and open up the conversation. We want to have a good relationship with our girls so they can feel comfortable coming to us and talking about everything. There is so much thrown at teens today by society, especially thrown at teen girls, that we want to be the safe place that they can turn to. At the end of the interview, we talked about an organization Beth started called A Face to Reframe. And you can find out more information um, on the website, which is aface2reframe.org. The organization came out of Beth's desire to do something to prevent human trafficking in her own area. What I love about this is that Beth saw a problem and she knew God's word. She knew God said to care for the least of these and she walked out God's word and walked out what he was calling her to do. To her, this meant connecting community members, offering preventative training to preteens and teens, and empowering the vulnerable through art. That is just amazing. I love that she's doing this. Also, after the show, after I recorded with her, I went to the website, which is afacetoreframe.org, to find out more about this organization, and I came across these statistics that they have listed on the site, on minor sex trafficking, which means sex trafficking with minors, um, and it was just shocking. So listen to this. Out of minors who are caught up in sex trafficking, 
68% ran away from foster care. The average victim is age 13 years old. 90% of these young women have sexual abuse in their history. And the average young woman has 12 dates per night. That is just so heartbreaking. And after I read the statistics, I just can't get it off my mind. They are so sobering, but I wanted to share these statistics because I believe that they put this interview in perspective, connecting with our daughters with intention and giving them the attention that they are craving from us, their safe place, their parents is important. So I just want you to enjoy this interview with Beth as she shares how giving our daughters truth and a voice can change everything. Well, I have a super uh, fun way that our guests got to walk it out today. And I, you know, Amazon is one of my favorite places to shop. And I was just looking around and had this recommended book. And I started looking into it. And I'm like, oh, yes, I need this book. And I need to talk to this author. um, Because it's about how to... um, to have a rite of passage and just how to get teen girls have a special year and have just how to be intentional, intentional about reaching them and connecting with them. And as a mom of seven girls, this is a book that I need. So I'm super excited to introduce Beth Bruno. So welcome to Walk It Out. And would you just take a moment and tell um, my audience a little bit about yourself? For sure. Well, thank you for having me. And oh my goodness, seven girls. I did not know that. That's pretty crazy. Um, I myself am a mom of two girls. They are 15 and 12. And my oldest is a, is a boy. He just turned 18 and graduated high school. So it's been a big week for us here. I am in northern Colorado and have been married for 23 years and um, spent a lot of that time in ministry with my husband. We were on staff with crew for about a decade and spent most of our years on staff overseas in the Middle East. And uh, after that, we transitioned back to the States and we went to grad school and I really became an activist. I'm a human trafficking community mobilizer, I would call myself, and started a nonprofit that focuses on that uh, here in Northern Colorado. And I'm just passionate about raising strong kids, you know, particularly youth and teens. I, I spent a lot of time with kids in high schools, and so I, I just see what is going on in their lives and what they're so vulnerable to and how they're being so easily exploited. And I want to raise particularly my girls uh, differently. So that's that's what the book came out of, that heart for, for all of that. So that's a little bit about who I am. I love that. So you're part of Crew. Now, my husband worked for Family Life, which, which is also part of Crew. Um, and he worked there. We moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, and he worked for about three years with them. And then he's worked from home because we adopted uh, six of the seven girls, we've adopted them. So I needed more support at home. So he works from home now. And then we also have three boys. But um, I just love that you are just so passionate about um, these young women, because it's a crazy hard world out there. It's so different. I mean, I thought it was hard when we were um, teenagers. But what do you see going on in the world today that we really as parents need to prepare our girls for? Wow. Yes. Well, my kids are in public school. And so we've just been in the thick of things in the weeds with them from the beginning and have navigated uh, just kind of what they're seeing and helped metabolize it for them over the dinner table um, for 12 years. And it's gotten increasingly challenging um, in terms of 
not only what we're discussing together, but how early and young we're having to have those conversations. Um, you know, that, so that's been a surprise. And a lot of that is around um, gender identity and, and questions that kids are struggling with as, as young as seven and eight years old. And we've had a lot of conversation around that. I would say our girls are bombarded with so many messages about um, their body and um, their identity. And it's just kind of an over-sexualized generation that causes a lot of confusion for them. And so we have a, a ton of conversations around that. And I think that's that's a lot where I see the blur of you know, so being so easily exploited because um, they're hypersexualized nowadays. But so that's one thing, one area of, of girls' challenges today. Yeah, you know, I we talked about those conversations, and um, we adopted some of our girls as teenagers, and I couldn't believe like the conversations that we had to have. And um, you know, they had a lot of questions or a lot of opinions that didn't necessarily go with the word of God. And I just remember sitting here like, I can't believe I'm having this conversation with a 13 year old right now. Um, And it's so hard. And I think sometimes we don't know what to say and we don't know how to um, help them. What advice do you have for, you know, sometimes when we have these conversations in the middle of it, we're like, I have no idea even what to say right now. (laughs) I think saying exactly that is a great way to begin. Because our kids need to know that we are also walking this out and wrestling through truth and um, prayerfully thinking through what we're being presented with. So, you know, for I think a lot of us women raising teens, so in this stage of life, some of it is new to us. We didn't wrestle with this when we were their age. And so we're, we're doing it right alongside of them simultaneous. And I think saying that and being transparent about that wins trust. And it begins a really authentic conversation of let's discover together. Let's, let's seek truth and, and mine for, for God's truth in all of this together. Um, and I don't come at you with all the right answers. I don't come at you with a really tightly knit box that I've put God in. Um, you know, we're going to kind of open it up and explore and, and I think that is one of the ways that that we do parenting well is when we're authentic and transparent about our own questions and and wrestlings with our kids. Yeah, and uh, your book is a voice becoming. And um, I know one of the things that you talk about and resources that you provided for parents, you talk about urging moms to start with their story first. And I think that's part of the transparency because we didn't do things perfectly, <laughs> even though, you know, there's challenges that are different today than we faced. Um, I know I, I messed up big time. I was sexually active at a young age. I had an abortion when I was 15. I was pregnant again when I was 17 and had my oldest son. And I know when I'm like able to share where I've messed up or things that I've learned, it seems they are more open to hearing from me because um, they can tell like, I'm not just trying to be a perfect parent and give them all the answers. So um, why do you want to urge moms to start with their story? I think like it or not, um, our parenting comes starts with us and it comes out of who we are, and um, to the extent that we have not only explored but digested our own story is the extent to which we are able to, um, in a really healthy, well-integrated way, engage 
our own kids, particularly at similar ages of the ages in which we had our own major story moments, major trauma moments, or you know, major moments in our upbringing. When our kids reach that same age, it's going to come out whether we like it or not. And so having, like for you, for your story, you know, a lot occurred, it sounds like between the ages of 15 and 17 for you. And so here you're raising 15, 16, 17 year old girls, and I'm sure you're right back there to where you were. And a lot is coming up for you and a lot is being um, just triggered on, on probably a daily basis. And so being able to parent that age from a healthy Um, processed place in our own hearts is so important. And so that's one of the reasons I encourage moms to start with their own story. Um, Another reason is that our kids are born into a family story. They're born into a narrative or they're brought into a narrative, you know, whether they're biological or adopted. And so what is that family narrative? Um, How can we really ground them in that so that they have a a grounded sense of who they are as they seek to to identify their own story and the story that God is telling through their lives as they leave our home and as they enter into adulthood. And so that's another reason why fully understanding our story and our family story is is so crucial. Does that make sense, Trisha? Yeah, completely. And you know, I've even I worked with um, teen moms too. And you know, as I'm talking to them, I mean, you know some of them have been sexually abused when they were little. And then when their kids are three or five or whatever age it is, all the stuff comes up. And I think that's so interesting that you brought that up, that whatever age we went through the trauma, we're going to process that with our kids. So not only do our kids have to deal with parents, they're having to deal with parents who are kind of processing their own, um, their own life. And then also the fears and the worries, you know, I'm, I'm like, don't even look at boys because I know what it's like. You know, I mean, I think we could almost go the other direction um, and not even be realistic because we remember, like, I remember when I was that age and what I was doing and how I was uh, acting and reacting. So I love how you brought that up. (laughs) Yes. Well, we tend to talk, we talk a lot about story in our home. I think my husband being a counselor, that's part of it is, um, just recognizing that so many of our actions and behaviors and fears and um, joys come out of some deeper place, some deeper story. And so we're often trying to give language to that to our kids um, so that they are able to interact with one another and others in their life more compassionately and to see beyond some of those just surface behaviors and to recognize there's a whole lot more going on. It was funny, even this morning, my daughter was talking about a friend who's now a good friend, but even a few months ago, she didn't think this girl liked her very much. And I asked her why. And she said, well, whenever she was would be talking about someone in our class, I tended to say, well, yeah, but what else is going on for that girl? <laughs> and so this, this friend would kind of roll her eyes at her and she thought, you know, oh man, she can't stand me. It was just funny that to hear, oh, you have been absorbing that and you're applying that in your, in your school with your friends, think, realizing there's more to the story. There's more going on. Yeah. I, one of the quotes that you have, um, I found that says, uh, there's too much heartache in the world for her voice, talking about our daughter's voice, uh, to not be heard 
and too much glory in her soul not to be unleashed. And I love how you're talking about, you know, your daughter is processing things through story, like what's, what's going on in this girl's life. Um, and when we are processing with our kids, when we're sharing stories, when we're seeking to understand other people's stories, it really is giving them a voice. And it reminds me of, you know, I had mentioned that I had an abortion when I was 15. And so my kids grew up, we talked about it, you know, I asked their forgiveness for making that choice. They went with me when I worked with teen moms, and I would talk about, you know, the pain of abortion, the pain of making that choice. And I remember my daughter came um, back from my oldest daughter, she's 25 now, came back from a youth gathering. um, And there was all these other teenagers, and they were saying, you know, um, I really think, you know, it's a woman's choice abortion and, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. And she's like, let me tell you my mom's story. Yeah. And she was able to share, like, this is what my mom experienced and this is her pain and this is regret. And this is how she's, you know, helping other people. But only because I was able to talk with her and share my life and she got to be there as we're working with teen moms. Um, that she now had a story to share and she had a voice that she can comment on abortion, whether, you know, with, you know, sharing someone else's experience is not just saying, no, you shouldn't do that. Or yes, it's okay. You know, she really, I I guess processing that gave her a voice. So explain that a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and just before I answer that question, I think it's beautiful because, you know, if, and when there's a day when that daughter faces something that is hard or she's shamed over or feels freaked out about, she knows she can go to you because she knows you have walked through something similar, or at least in those emotional categories. You have earned trust by showing her that you have your own brokenness and you have, um, you know, you're not this perfect person on a pedestal in her eyes. And so I think that's beautiful. That's that serves her so well because she will make mistakes, right? We all make exactly, mistakes. Yeah. She knows now that she can talk to you about it. So awesome. Well, well done. I love that. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the, that quote that you started with about um, too much glory in their soul to not be unleashed and this idea of, of their voice becoming and stepping into to their voice. It's that sense of, I really believe that, yes, not only are we, am I trying to raise young women who will enter into adulthood, you know, in a certain way, but I really believe that right now, while they're teens, they should be bringing the fullness of who they are, that we've kind of created this delayed childhood, this decade of of the teen years, this era of teendom that doesn't exist in other countries, (laughs) doesn't exist around the world as much as it does here in our country where um, it's this whole new identity and it's, it's responsibility is delayed. um, Active involvement as citizens in their community is oftentimes delayed. And um, the kids who are, are involved and are bringing the fullness of themselves are a minority. It's, it's not a given. And so I really want to, to unleash these young teens in, into who God has created them to be. And how do you just offer that to his kingdom right here and now and not wait until you're 22 years old and 32 and 42 when you're still trying to discover who am I and what am I here on earth to do? And how does God created me 
um, to bring goodness and life to this world, I think it's possible to begin to name, at least in small ways, some of that right now while they're teenagers. And so that's what I'm trying to get at with um, with a voice becoming, that God has given them a voice, and not just verbally. I, I really mean who they are is God's vocal piece to the world, and how do we how do we seek that out? How do we give words to it and then really um, cast a vision for them of what that might look like and release them um, even right now as a young teen? Does that make sense? It, do, it, it does make sense. And I love that you were able to um, put this in a book and guide us as parents out there on how to do this. And you talk about the year of becoming. So can you explain a little bit about what that is and then your experience with that? Sure. So I wanted to do something really special and meaningful. Um, and I there's a lot of great stuff out there, but it you know, a lot of it was short, a weekend um, conversations. It, I knew that in light of what our kids are facing, there needed to be something bigger longer. Their attention span is <laughs> is so short. I knew I, it needed to be just peppered over time. And that if, if I created a whole year of this really intentional rites of passage kind of thing, that it would sink in and be far more meaningful than just a weekend or, or a night or that sort of thing. So that's where my thoughts began. Um, and I I ended up creating it myself because I just, that's just what ended up happening. And the way I designed it, first of all, is that I really didn't want to create just another, a program that, you know, other moms felt pressured or, or, you know, the expectation to follow to a T. I, I didn't envision it becoming the next thing that all church groups go through. I wanted to create a paradigm of thinking differently and so the book is part my story with my daughter and ideas, but a lot of just inspiring and encouraging moms and giving them thoughts and ideas to create their own year based on the uniqueness of who they are as women and their daughters are as girls. Um, but the framework that I do write about is this. It, we start the year with a launch um, experience. And so maybe that's a trip, maybe that's just a special significant sort of um, experience, but it it's a marker for the daughter that something special is happening. And it's where the mom really communicates, here's what's going to happen this year. And it, it sets her up, it prepares her. And the launch experience um, is based on, well, I frame the year based on God's questions to Hagar. Um, Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant of Abram and Sarai, who ends up becoming his concubine and impregnated and runs, takes off back to Egypt when she's been abused. And it's on the way back to Egypt at the well that God appears and says, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? And I just am haunted by those two questions. I feel like that really frames this transition period for girls of where have you come from in the sense of what I was talking about? What story were you born into? What's your family narrative? Um, and then where are you going is what story am I telling through you, through your life? So our launch trip starts with answering that question, where have you come from? And 
maybe that's back to the place where the, the girl was born. Maybe it's um, a really special explanation of how you entered into this family and what what all happened around that. For instance, a really good friend just took uh, their child back to the the town where the beginning desire to adopt was birthed in the parent. And so this is an adopted kid um, who wasn't born biologically into the family, but the parent took um, went back to the city where that desire was birthed. And so it doesn't matter, but it's that answering of the question, where have you come from? And then we launch into a year of five categories that I spent about two months on um, for each. And they were they were my categories. They came out of you know something that was true in my life and I thought was important and I thought reflected God, that these were ways that women reflect God. And that is women lead, women love, women fight, women sacrifice, and women create. And in those two months, we would uh, read a book. I'd have her read a book. We'd watch some films. We I tried to do some experiential things, all to create meaning around that category of women lead, for example. And that took up most of our year. I tried to involve some of my girlfriends, some of my sister, my mom, so that she would begin to interact with women more as peers and less as the, the kid on the playground with their kids, um, because I really wanted to welcome her into this bigger company of women. And so we did things as, as peers um, during that year with other women. And then we ended the year with a legacy event, which ans- began to answer that question of where are you going? And so um, for that, I really encourage moms to consider um, some sort of test uh, in a sense of were you listening? Jesus was tested, right, in the in the desert, and um, the sense of were, were you listening? What what scripture can you share during temptation? And so, for our daughters, um, how did how can you hang meaning on these various categories we've talked about all year? Um, so, some sort of test, some sort of blessing for sure, kind of a, a deeming our year is over. You, I'm now welcoming you into this company of women. Um, I bless you. This is where I see you lead and love and fight and sacrifice and create. Um, and some sort of, oh, how do I describe it? Risk. Um, some sort of, I guess it's part of the test, but it's more of a challenge. You know, what, how can your daughter really prove? I have what it takes. I've got the grit. I've got the the chutzpah, <laughs> to become a woman. And so that'll look different for all sorts of girls. Um, but I write about what I did specifically for my daughter. And and so that kind of concludes the year of, not that they'll know at age 13 or 14 or 15 exactly who they are and where they're going, but to know that that is a question worth asking and a question you will revisit over and over again, because it's how God has has knit you. He has knit a story in you. And your job now is to discover it and live into it. And so that's kind of how the end, the year ends. I love that. So what was your daughter's response as she was going through this year? Well, initially there was high expectation because she's a second kid and we did something similar with my son. And so there were a lot of uh, expectations on her part that it would look like it did for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to 
work on her to trust me that it was going to look different, but could she trust me in that, that I had a lot of intentional and thoughtful plans for her. So it, that took a little adjustment. Um, and then I realized, honestly, it's my intention and attention with her. That means more than anything we're actually doing and talking about that. She just ate up having that kind of concentrated focus on her from me. And she lived into it. She, for the most part, she was willing to read and watch whatever I asked her to because she was just craving that kind of time with me. Yeah, and I love that. And I think it's so good that, you know, you knew kind of the goals you have, like to be a leader and to be courageous or whatever your goals were. I think all of us, um, we want our kids, you know, I hear all the time, you need to be, you know, hear myself, you need to be more responsible or you need to be more wise about your decisions. But I'm thinking as you're talking like, oh, I need to like actually work more to train her on how to do that. You know, to watch a movie together and say, how did, how did wisdom play into that? Or how did courage play into this? Um, I think so many times we expect that our teens just know how to do these things. Um, but then when we tell, you know, when they mess up or they don't live up to our expectations, we're like, oh, you should have done that differently. But we haven't taken the time. And so I love that, you know, you talk about being intentional and giving attention, but you're also gave so much training and guidance um, during that, which is exactly what our kids need from us. Right. If, if we don't name, the world will name for us. And so to, to not assume that just through osmosis, they're going to learn all that we want them to learn, that we do need to put words to what we want them to, to take. And again, that we're metabolizing truth and culture for them at this age. So you're exactly right. That that takes a lot of forethought. Yeah. So, you know, you're planning this and thinking about this and, you know, working with your daughter. How did you change along this journey too? <laughs> um, yes, because it is it is as much about us as as mom. And I think what I learned is that I'm still in this process of becoming and always will be. Um I think I even realized that I included my mom in a couple of things and to hear her thoughts and reflections at age 68 and realize, oh, and here you are, you know, generation ahead and you still feel like you're in this process of becoming. So to kind of to live into that, to not to let go of this sense of needing to have it all figured out at age 42 or whatever I was. And um, so I guess a little bit of um, letting go in that sense, that was part of my learning. And then it was so fun to just open my hands up to the Lord. I, you know, I had some plans and then I had a lot of just open hands. God, what are you going to bring for us? And what do you have for us to learn through this? And that was really fun to watch happen. I felt like God met both of us in a really special way. And our conversations felt sacred and um, I couldn't have predicted some of the timing of what occurred that year. And so here I am starting it again with my 12 year old We're, you know, I'm redoing it with the next daughter. And I had that same posture of open hands to the Lord. What will this year bring in terms of culture and events and books that are released that I have no way of knowing about now, but I'm trusting that through all of that, you have so much to teach me and in turn my daughter and that has just felt, this just brought me closer to the Lord. It's made me feel really seen um, by Him in 
us just a really unique way. Yeah. And what I love about this is, um, you're not saying, okay, here is exactly what you need to do with your girl. (laughs) I gave you, you know, this month you check off these boxes and this month you check off these boxes, but it's really learn more about yourself, share your story, learn about your daughter, help her figure out part of her story. Keep your eyes on Christ and, you know, see what he has open for you as you walk this journey. And I love that, that it is intention. It is, you know, keeping our our heart open, our mind open to what God wants. But it's not like this 10 step process that we're going to go through every month to come out with some conclusion, because all of us will have a different journey as we have, you know, different kids, our my girls, um, my younger six are adopted. So I know, just going back and what was your story? I mean, that's going to be completely different than a lot of other moms out there with their daughters. Exactly. And the times that we're in, I mean, so much is happening around them that we would be foolish to not capitalize on and again, help metabolize and name for them. So that's going to look different year to year. Um, One of the big, one of my big heart beats in that, I guess, from living overseas. And I, I just want our girls to see that this is not just an American thing. God just did not just fashion women after him that look like American women. This is, this is a global thing that we have a sisterhood around the world that reflect Christ in, in the same ways. And so I want to bring in those stories of those women and that changes based on kind of what the media is focused on. You know what I mean? So this, right now, for instance, I'm doing quite a bit around Syrian, um, the Syrian civil war and refugee crisis and immigration, because that feels like one of the the most pressing global issues right now for women, for girls and women. And so I'm bringing that in to this year with my 12-year-old. Well, that was not as much of a thing four years ago with my older daughter. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. we just need to just capitalize on what is happening right now in their lives. And the meaning is the same. It's just the actual um, examples and experiences change. Yeah. I love that you're taking the global worldview too, because uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter is a missionary in the Czech Republic. um, And she's been there for about four years now. And, you know, she brings so much and we could talk to her because she's going to be here in a couple weeks but we can talk to her about what is going on in the world and she lives in a country where less than one percent of people are christians and so you know we'll sit down and we'll have these conversations about what is it like living in a world where you walk into the street and you know that almost no one around you has heard about jesus or um, knows what a personal relationship is and just having those global worldviews of you know we live in, I live in Arkansas. I go into the dentist's office right now and Christian music is playing. <laughs> I go into the, get my hair cut, Christian music is playing, but it is not like that around the world. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and the comparison too, you know, the, the hardships that our daughters are facing, not to minimize them in any way, but let's look at what girls their age in some of these other countries are facing right now. It kind of brings perspective. Um, I think, what I I set out to do and what I say in the very first sentence of the book is I'm out to wreck my daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to break their heart the way Jesus' heart breaks. And that has got to, to mean I'm exposing them to the realities of this world, the pain and suffering that girls their age are are facing, um, not to minimize their, their lives, but to really give them perspective and 
like I said, cast a vision for how they might play a part in that. What, what might God do through them? Like your daughter in the Czech Republic, you know, what might he begin to knit in their hearts now at a young age that changes the trajectory of their lives in their twenties? Yeah. And I think that's so important too. And when I first started volunteering with teen moms, uh, my oldest daughter, who's now the missionary, she was like eight or nine years old. And she'd go with these teen mom support meetings. And she'd just overhear like two girls were with the same guy. I mean, just all these things. I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I doing to my daughter? But we have the best conversations on the way home about, you know, people, are, you know, have a hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill and they're looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, I mean, we just had these conversations and I see how it impacted her. Um, and now, you know, I take my girls and we go volunteer and they babysit at our, the teen mom support group that I'm doing here in Little Rock. And, you know, they, we've had 12 year olds that are pregnant in our support groups, which are younger than some of the, my teen daughters that I take. And so we could talk about, um, you know, she doesn't have a dad at home and her mom's a single mom of five kids and, you know, some of the challenges. And I think so many times, especially as Christians, we just want to keep our kids in this bubble. Um, but eventually they're going to be out in the world. <laughs> they're going to see. And if they don't learn how to help, um, I think they're just going to be overwhelmed and kind of get sucked into it. But when we could show them that we can help people and we can serve them and, um, you know, we don't have to look down on them, but we have problems and they have problems and we can love and support each other. It makes a huge difference on how we raise our kids. Right. Exactly. And, you know, the bubble is just a facade anyways, right? I mean, there's pain and hardship in Christian schools and in our youth groups and in our volunteering opportunities. It's, it's all around us if, if we're actually out there engaging, you know, in a real way. And so I think that illusion that we can protect our kids um, is, is just that. It's an illusion. Yeah. Well, Beth, I would love to hear more about your nonprofit and human trafficking. And I know this is such a topic that some of us don't know how to help. I would just love to hear what you did and uh, more about what you're continuing to do. Well, I first learned of human trafficking over 10 years ago. We were in Seattle. And at the time, you know, it's still quite a new movement. And so being in a port city, my whole impression of, of human trafficking in America was that it was happening in port cities with, you know, foreigners like Asians, for instance, being brought into restaurants and nail salons, etc. And then we moved to Colorado, and I started doing some work with street youth, and just everything was flipped upside down as I began to learn, oh, this is what it looks like with kids here in our in the states, like kids just like my kids who are coming out of my son's middle school. And so my heart broke in a new way, and I began to just learn and show up at various meetings and um, spent about two years getting the lay of the land in Colorado, kind of who's who and what's what and where are the gaps and where are our strengths and began to identify some major gaps in my county. And so I, I started volunteering with an organization that was focused more globally. And I brought a domestic local uh, focus. And it was through that that we got connected with our law enforcement five years ago as they began to do some targeted stings with a human trafficking lens. And so for the last five years, I have really kind of mobilized our community um, Initially, it was, let's get all of the right people in the same room to begin to talk about this as a reality and to begin to train 
um, their staff and their agencies. And so, you know, that was law enforcement, those were youth services, um, educators, health professionals, kind of all the people you imagine would provide services to a potential victim. And none of them realized five years ago that this was happening in our community. And so we just started with training, and then we started with developing community responses and identifying gaps. And we've just evolved from there. Um, After we felt like we had pretty good saturation with all of those service providers, we realized we needed to focus on those we would deem most vulnerable in a community like ours, and that's our youth, our high school students. And so we've been doing a lot of um, just prevention training presentations in high schools over the last few years in hopes that as they are the eyes and ears in the hallways of their school, when they recognize red flags and suspicious signs, they'll report it and we'll be able to intervene quicker and hopefully prevent um, full-on trafficking. You know, we might see signs of um, risky behavior or some sexual exploitation, but perhaps the kid hasn't up and disappeared yet. And so we'll be able to intervene and, um, and in turn prevent more trafficking happening among our youth here. So it's been rewarding. It's been um, hard. It's a dark evil subject to hold. And at times I I find I need to step away more and more because it wears on my soul um, in a really bone, you know, bone chilling way. But gosh, it's, it's been amazing to see kind of the results here in our community. Yeah. And I think sometimes, like you said, we'd be shocked if we really knew what was happening. And I remember at one of our teen mom support meetings, one of the girls, we hadn't seen her in a while and she finally came and she was just broken. She was just crying. And I ended up taking her aside and asking what was wrong. And um, people approached her on Facebook or someone approached her on Facebook about selling her body because they could see that she needed money for diapers and she had two kids and was trying to help her mom who was a single mom of three more kids. And, And this girl ended up um, letting them pick her up, take her to different counties. And I'm like, think, you know, you could have disappeared. I mean, you know, she, she was selling her body and she was, she knew what she was doing was wrong, but she was so desperate. Uh, but she was, they were actually like driving her out of the county. And I'm like, you could have completely disappeared and we never would have saw you again. And this is someone I knew, like, you know, those at my support group meetings that I had a relationship with and I just had no idea what was going on. And I think sometimes we're so shocked that, you know, in our own neighborhoods that this is really happening. And so I love that you are letting people, getting people aware and high school students, yeah, that's, they're the ones that need to know and be able to see the warning signs and their friends or people may approach them and they might not understand um, where it is leading. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So what is the name of your organization? It's called a face to reframe this idea of reframing with dignity those who have been marred. Mm, I love that so much. And I love that, um, you know, you saw the need and you were willing to do something about it. I think sometimes we become so overwhelmed um, that we almost shut down and think, I can't do enough. One person can't do enough. But I know when I've taken steps of faith, God always brings people around me that have the same passion. Um, And he, you know, I almost feel like he's saying, just take the step of faith. There's 20 people waiting to help you. Um, Have you found that to be true in your organization too? What I have loved is that those people are already in positions of power and they are believers who are, um, I just call them like secret kingdom warriors, right? They don't, they're not missionaries. They're not pastors. They're not leading forth as 
Christians, but because of their faith, their heart breaks for this issue. And so in their place of power and decision-making, they have been such great allies. And I can look around the table at a lot of our meetings and know that they're all believers, you know, or most of them, it's it's so fun. Yeah, I love that. And what I love too, I think I, I tell people all the time, um, that if we want to tell our kids, you know, do amazing things for God, listen to his voice, step out with steps of faith, you know, the podcast is walk it out, like we need to actually walk out what the Bible's saying. But if we want our kids to do that, we need to be doing that. And so, you know, I love that you wrote the book of voice becoming, and you know, you're guiding your daughter, but you're also guiding your daughter by doing something <laughs> by taking those steps of faith by walking out what the Bible says about caring for those who are in need. And so I think, Um, that's an amazing thing that you're not only writing about it, but this is your life and you're doing it too. Mm. Thanks, Trisha. (laughs) Yeah, well, I just appreciate just getting to know you and hearing more um, about your story. I appreciate what you're doing. I just appreciate your encouragement to all us moms to just be intentional and give that attention to our daughters. Um, I encourage them to pick up your book, A Voice Becoming. And I'm so excited because I have twin 15-year-olds and then girls and then 13, 10, and 7. So my mind is already spinning like, I bet. You know, 15 is not too old. Like, we can still do this here. Not not at all. (laughs) And I'm already thinking of ways that um, I could make it, you know, maybe it's year 16 or maybe it's 15 and a half. You know, (laughs) I'm already into the 15th year. So we need to do something. But just I know that if I start doing something with the older two, I mean, it's something that all the girls can look forward to. So I'm so excited that Amazon had your book pop up as a recommendation. Um, That was kind of a God thing because God knew that I needed this for my own family. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So for those who want to find out more information about you and your book and your ministry, where can they go? Well, avoicebecoming.com. They can find out more about the book. I'm online at bethbruno.org. I'm on Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter. I have an H in between, Beth H. Bruno, on all of those places. And we have a Voice Becoming Facebook group as well, where other moms are kind of sharing some of their ideas and thoughts around what they're doing with their daughters. So that would be a fun place to engage as well. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I love that. I, I think sometimes we can get so much encouragement and ideas from other moms. So that is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love I would love to hear a story. I love hearing stories and other ideas. So it's always fun for me to to realize this is out there and look at <laughs> this next generation is being impacted. It's such an encouragement. I love that. Well, Beth, thank you so much for being here today and thank you for all that you're doing, um, not only for your daughter, but for other vulnerable uh, young women out there. Thanks for having me, Tricia. And hopefully we'll be able to connect again sometime. Sounds good. Thank you. Take care. Wow, wasn't that a great interview? I'm so thankful for all Beth has done for her community, for her daughter, and for all of us. If you have a daughter, you can find out more about A Voice Becoming, which is her book, at avoicebecoming.com. I'm eager to figure out how I can create a becoming year for my own five daughters who are under the age of 16. It's something that I'm going to be thinking about and praying about. Also, today's walk it out verse is Psalm 86, 11 through 13. And this is what it says. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. With all my heart, I will praise you, O Lord, my God. I will give glory to your name forever, for your love for me is very great. 
I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged today to work with God to teach his ways to my daughters and sons, of course. With wisdom from Jesus, I can help protect my children's purity of heart and teach them to honor God with praise and praise him forever. What an amazing responsibility that is. Also, here is a prayer for all of us. Lord, it's so hard to think of all out there that tries to corrupt our kids. There is so much evil that wants to draw them away from your truth, your purity, and your ways. It's so overwhelming when I realize that it's up to me and my spouse to guide my kids the truth they need. I thank you, Lord, that you have given me the tools that I need to do that, though. You've given me my story and my voice as a starting point. Lord, today, help me help all of us to use these well. Mostly, I pray that we will always be able to point our children to you, to your glory, and to your love. For it's only then will our kids have a close relationship with you. And it's there when they're looking into your face and they realize your love that they truly will discover who you've created them to be. Be with all of our children, Lord, and with those you've allowed us to have an influence over. In your name we pray. Amen. So thank you, friend, for tuning in to Walk It Out today. As always, you can find more information about me on my website, which is just trishagoyer.com. And know you can find me on any social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under Trisha Goyer. Finally, friends, I'd really appreciate it if you would tell your friends about this podcast and encourage them to listen. Also, as you know, this podcast is sponsored by my book, Walk It Out, The Radical Result of Living God's Word One Step at a Time, which is published by David C. Cook. David C. Cook is a nonprofit publisher spreading God's word in over 100 countries. Thank you for tuning in, friends, and I pray that your week will be blessed. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Author Media. Opening and closing music is from the song Wide Open Space by Life Worship, used with permission from Integrity Music.